Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. That's what we're praying for God to do. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable, because he said it and we believe it. So over the next few weeks, I'm in the book of Exodus. And so if you got your Bible, remember Exodus chapter 2. And my goal for this series is to answer three questions. Uh, who am I? Who are, who are you? Who am I as individuals? Who am I? Uh, who is God? And who are we as the church? And my goal for this series is for us to understand who God has created us to be and that each one of us would begin to live in that God-given identity. That's my goal for you. Get it all out. And, uh, and, and I think that in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that how God designed you um, as individuals and how he designed us as the church. And I, I want you to see that God has created you. He's intricately knitted you together. He's allowed you to experience all that you've experienced, good or bad. He's done that on purpose. He's done that for a purpose. And... and You'll hear me say this time and time again over the series that you were made for the day and that the day is made for you. Or to quote the book of Esther, that you have been raised up for such a time as this. Do you believe that, church family? We will live up to what we believe. Because truly... I believe, and, and so if you want to ask me, all right, Ryan, what's your end goal? What's the goal? What are you trying to get at? It's, it's that I believe that if we could ever see ourselves from God's perspective, that we would be such a dangerous force on the world that the principalities and powers of the world would tremble if we were unleashed as God's people in this world. I believe that, and I want to, I want to see you cause a ruckus for Satan. I want, to, I want for us to cause trouble to him every day. So last week we looked at how the book of Exodus is telling us the story of how God's preparing a people for himself and how he chose the people of Israel according to his plan and is fulfilling his promise as far back as Genesis chapter 1 to Adam and Eve and Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham and that you and I, we can become God's people by grace through faith in Jesus and how we are a part of something called the church that all the schemes of hell can't hold back. That it, it, the church, God's kingdom, is an unstoppable force that you and I are a part of in this world. And even when Satan tries to stop God's church, God will redeem that evil intent and weaponize it against the enemy in such a way that he will get, God will get glory. That Satan's own schemes will be Satan's own demise. Or in other words, Satan's that Satan will hang himself on the gallows that he creates against the church. Just like it says in the book of Esther. And today we're going to get a little more specific. So last week is, I am a part of God's people. 
Today we're going to get a little more specific and, and try to wrap our minds around the fact of I am God's workmanship. I am God's workmanship to help you understand how you fit in God's plan. And so here's the story so far. Exodus chapter 1, let me give you a background from last week, teaches us that God's people were multiplying to such a degree that Pharaoh himself became fearful of God's people and came up with an evil plan to eliminate the Hebrew people. That every male child would be killed and every female child would then belong to the Egyptians and that the Hebrews would be weeded out over time. And so the question that I want to address today for us is, who am I? Who are you? Who am I? And so then how do I figure out who I am? How do I figure out who I am? Now let me encourage you, there's a book by a man named Trevin Wax. Trevin Wax. And Trevin Wax wrote a book called Rethink Yourself. And in the first chapter of Rethink Yourself, what Trevin Wax lays before us is what the world tells us about how to find out the answer to that question, who am I and how do I figure out who I am? So he says, he says the, the world has three, three uh, rules for you. Number one is if you're going to find out who you are, you need to look in. You need to look inside yourself. Number two is then you look around. And three, finally you look up. And the world is feeding this lie to us. Look in, look around, look up. And so the way that I find out who I am is to look inside first. And you'll hear things like this in our culture all the time. Uh, you'll hear phrases like, follow your heart. You ever heard that? Follow your heart. Be yourself. Chase your dreams. You can be anything you want to be. You do you be true to yourself. Have you ever heard stuff like that? In other words, look inside of yourself, way down deep inside, and when you find out who you are, you be that no matter um, no matter what, no matter who you uh, disagrees with you or anything like that, no matter what your friends or family say. And doesn't that sound uplifting? Look inside yourself for truth. Look inside yourself for identity. Sounds uplifting until it doesn't work. Until it doesn't work. And that either leads me to one of two positions. If I look inside myself and I find out that that doesn't work for me, it leads me to two things. Number one, it leads me to bitterness, where I see myself as a victim. I see that the world is out to get me, or it leads me to a place where I blame myself for my own failures, and that leads to guilt and shame. So I either have anger and bitterness or guilt and shame in my life. And so when, when we look inside of us, Trevin Wax says that we try to answer four questions. Four questions that this book tells us that we try to answer. Definition desires, display, and design. So desire, or definition. Definition. All right, so he says definition. Who am I? Look inside, right? Look inside. What, who am I? I try to figure that out by trying to figure out what's my purpose here? How am I defining myself? I look inside. The second is desires. Who do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? What will make you happy? What are the desires that drive you? And so then when I find out my definition and I understand my desires, I do that by looking inside, then I display. I look around. 
and I begin to display outwardly the definition that I've given myself and the desires that I have way down deep inside, I look around for people who will affirm my identity and desires. And I, so I surround myself with people who will applaud my true self. Do you see this in our culture happening, guys? And then the, the next question that we try to answer is design. Desire, or definition, desires, display, and design. So when I look around, or I, I look in first, I find out my definition, and I figure out my desires, and then I display that and look for people to affirm me, then I, what happens when I base my life on looking inside to find my definition desires is I find that my desires change. Have you ever noticed that? Desires change. And then I'm forced to redesign myself because now I'm living inauthentically. I'm no longer being my true self because my definitions and desires have changed. All right, all right. It, it used to happen 40 to 45 years old. There used to happen something in a man's life uh, somewhere in that time period where his desires would change. Maybe he would lose a job. And we used to call it a what crisis? A midlife crisis. But have you noticed in our culture that that midlife crisis can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time? Why? Because we're basing our definition, our identity, our desires on what we find way down deep inside of me. I don't know if you know you like I know me, but I know that the deeper that I look way down deep inside, the more wickedness I find. So looking down inside of me is not a good place to start. Then finally, after looking in and looking around, then I look up. And so what I do is after looking up, I, I try to sprinkle my true self with some level of spirituality. I find some religious affiliation or practice to affirm what I've created so that I can fill a God-shaped hole I have inside of me. Now, let me just make a, a, a statement here that might be a little startling, but some of us here are here not because we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, but because we've looked inside of us and we've found out who we are and what our desires are, and we looked around our culture and we said, you know, I kind of most align with conservative Christians. And you're here not because you've been born again, but because you're trying to find a people who applaud who you truly are or who you think you are. And if that's you today, I'm glad you're here. But I just want to let you know that if you look in first and then around second and then up third, that causes so many issues. I want you to look at the polarization in our country. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how divided our country is these days? We call it identity politics. When, because when, when you disagree today, in today's world, when you disagree with somebody's stance on a certain definition or you disagree uh, with their desire, what you're doing is attacking their identity and their personhood, aren't you? Why? Because I've looked in and then I've looked around and then I've looked up. So if I disagree with your desire, I disagree with your self-given identity, it's no longer a good conversation. It's called hate speech. Are you with me? 
think about how much this will impact a generation. I, I want to just imagine for a second that you and I walk into a middle school, and when we walk into a middle, middle school, our pep talk is that you define yourself based on how you feel today. How's that going to go for us? It's going to go about the way that we're going right now. And it's because we're looking in, and then we're looking around, and then we're looking up. It's impossible to design yourself, define yourself without comparing yourself to others. That's a dangerous place to be. Your desires are deceptive. And have you noticed in this generation that we live in, we are the most medicated generation of all time? And we wonder what's going on. It's because we're asking people to look inside themselves to figure out who they are. There's got to be a better way. And I think this passage that we're in today, Exodus chapter 2, shows us a picture of a better way. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and flip there and stick something in there to hold that page, Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that way. So, here's the choice that each one of us have to make today. Every one of us here today are either a child of wrath or a child of God. A child of wrath or a child of God. Now, a lot of us hear that and immediately we go, that's kind of offensive. Well, I'm, I'm just using Bible language here to describe to you how the Bible categorizes every person who's ever lived that we are either children of wrath or a child of God. Now, let me show that to you in this passage. So Moses, just remember Exodus chapter 2. Moses and every other male child was destined to be killed because of the wrath of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Then what takes place is that Moses' mom takes a leap of faith. She's not willing to kill her baby. She can't hide him any longer. So she creates a basket, puts the basket with Moses inside in the river, and lets him float down the river and trusts that God will have some kind of mercy on him. The baby is then found by Pharaoh's daughter, who even though she knows she's a Hebrew, it says in chapter 2, verse 6, what does it say? That she took pity on him. She took pity on him. She called for a Hebrew nurse who turned out to be Moses' mother, who raised him in his own home for the first few years of his life. And then after he was weaned by his mother, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh and became a child of the king. Do you see a picture being painted for us? A picture there. We're either a child of wrath or a child of God. This is a picture of the gospel, and Ephesians 2 gives us these two categories. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 3 says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature, not by choice, but because we were born of the first Adam, we inherited a sinful nature. You don't just have a, a problem with sinning but you have a problem with a sinful nature. We are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we're sinners. Are you with me? Now, it's kind of offensive, but I don't mean it to be offensive. There's good news that Jesus Christ came to save us from that nature and give us a brand new nature. So, what I mean by being a child of wrath, it means that some of us in this room believe that you make a better God than God. 
well, I'm, so I'm going to try living my life my way based on my definition and my desires, and I act like I'm a better God than God. So the, what the Bible reveals happens to us when we are children of wrath or we're living that way. In Romans chapter 1, it says something like this, God gives us over to the lusts of our heart, to impurity, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So when I, when I try to live as my own God, as my own Lord and my own Savior, what does God do? He turns me over to the things that I want. And because I choose to do those things, to live as my own God, God turns me over and I am a child of wrath. And therefore, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we're children of wrath and then we deserve or receive the due penalty of our error. When we live our life apart from God's lordship, we spend our eternity apart from God's mercy. Let me say that again. When we live our life apart from God's lordship, we spend our eternity apart from God's mercy. We're children of wrath. And we are all that. We are all a child of wrath at some point. Some of us in this room still are. The second option is that we're a child of wrath or a child of God. Now, have you heard it said before that we're all God's children, right? Is that true? No. Now, are we all God's creatures? Yes. Are we all God's children? No. Now, we're all God's creatures, but not all God's children. Before Christ, all of us are children of wrath. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, but God, being rich in mercy. Can you just sit back for a second? Let your heart dwell on the glories found in this passage. Just for a second. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved through faith. Can I get an amen on that? Isn't that good news? That we were by nature children of wrath. We were being our own God. We were living that way, each and every one of us. But then God sent Jesus because of his great love with which he loved us. Because he's rich in mercy, he, in the same way that Moses was shown mercy and grace there on the bank of the Nile River. Moses, uh, this, this woman named Pharaoh took pity on Moses. And then he was adopted into the household of Pharaoh. There was mercy shown that he did not get what he did deserve. And there was grace shown that he was adopted into a family to which he didn't belong. We, likewise, are given that opportunity to be shown mercy and grace through Jesus. How? That God, because He is rich in mercy, does not give to us what our sins deserve. Can I get an amen? He does not give us what we deserve. That's called mercy. And then 
Grace is when we do get what we don't deserve. And God is abounding in mercy, rich in mercy, and overflowing in grace toward us. That your sins deserve something, but not only does He not give that to you, but He makes a rebellious son a child of the Most High King. That we who are prodigal children and wayward sheep have now become sons and daughters of God Most High and we sit at His table with Him. That's being rescued by grace. How did that happen? Through Jesus. It happened through Jesus. Why do you not get what you deserve? Because Jesus got what you deserve. Why do you get what you don't deserve? Because Jesus gave up His sonship for you. That you might be brought in on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time Jesus ever um, spoke to God in that way. He never has ever called him God, but always Father. But there on the cross, he didn't say, my Father, my Father. He said, my God, my God. Why? Because God the Father forsook the only Son that you and I who forsook God might be invited into the family. And made children of God. I don't know if your quiet means that it's sinking in or you're sleeping. But this is like the best news on the planet. That you and I have the opportunity to be rescued by grace. To be made transformed from a child of wrath into a child of God. Isn't that good news? And we're, it's, it happens to us by grace alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And then he goes on to say, This is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. God didn't look down from heaven to earth and look way down deep inside in your heart and say, You know what? They're just a good person. I think I'm going to reward them for their goodness. He didn't start by looking way down deep inside of you. He started with your salvation by looking way down deep inside of His abounding mercy. Why are you saved? Because God's mercy and God's grace, period. It's, it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now this is the most confounding, confronting, and comforting word ever. It's confounding because it just doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? It's confronting because God's saying, I don't care how good you think you are, your goodness is not enough. But it's also comforting because it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you can be saved because God is good. Such good news. So then, what I want you to see through this passage is that not only are we saved by grace through faith, that we become children of God by mercy and grace, but now in Christ we are defined by the Creator. We are defined by the Creator. Creation doesn't define itself, the Creator does. And he says in chapter 2, verse 10 of the book of Ephesians, we are His workmanship. Now, let me take this back into the story of Moses. Exodus chapter 2 says, 
the woman who married a Levite, this is Moses' mama, looks at Moses and she says in verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was a fine child, she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And then chapter Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is a fantastic word. The Greek word is poema. It's the word that we get our English word poem from. And it can mean a number of things. It can mean that we are a masterpiece. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That when God creates things, he does not create junk. Isn't that good news? God never looked at you and said, you know, I messed up a little on that one. He's never messed up. He's never created junk. When God looked at you, he created a masterpiece. The word in some versions like here is workmanship. But it is, you are God's poetry in motion. Poetry is a will of the mind. It's a will of the heart. And it is a will of the flesh. And I want you to understand that when God created you, you were a work of his mind. You were a work of his heart. And you were a work of his hand. And he created you to be his masterpiece. Don't believe any less about you. I know I've spent a long time saying that we're sinful beyond measure, but you are also recreated in Christ Jesus to be a masterpiece. Apart from Jesus, we're still children of wrath. But in Jesus... We're a masterpiece, and God is chiseling away every day at who you are, creating you to be who he wants you to be. You are his masterpiece in progress. Praise God. You are defined by your creator. See, the word of God does not teach us to look in, then around, then up, but rather it says, look up. Look up. This is who I've created you to be. Look at my word. Let me tell you who I've created you to be, God says. Then if you want to look in, that's fine. But after you get done looking in, don't look in too long. Look back up. Because in is still deceptive. And then if you want to look around, that's fine. But after you look around, look back up. Because those people are deceptive. So God says, let me tell you who you are. Who does God say that I am? Let me tell you, in Christ, I am loved. In Christ, I am redeemed. That means you've been purchased out of slavery at a price. In Christ, I am forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. I don't care how you feel. I care what God says about you. Are you with me? My feelings are deceptive. Don't look in, look up. Look at God's word. I am chosen. I am a child of God. I am a treasured possession. I am holy. Now, I don't feel holy, Ryan. When Christ you are. I'm a saint. No, not me, Ryan. I'm not a saint. No, you are a saint. No, not me, Ryan. Let me tell you, that's a form of pride. To say that what God says about you, that he's going to do in you, that he can't do because you're so sinful, that's pride. That's a, a form of pride that is acceptable inside God's church. There are two kinds of pride. One is, I don't need a Savior. I'm so good. The other kind of pride is, there is no Savior who can save me from my bad. My bad is so bad that even what Jesus did is not enough. 
It's funny, in the church, we won't accept one, but we will accept the other. And let me just tell you, both of them are pride, and you are a saint in Christ. You are empowered by the Spirit. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a priest of God. You are a minister of the new covenant to the people around you. That's who God says you are. Would you begin to believe that about you? Because if you could come to believe all the things that God says about you, there's no stopping what God could do through you. Then I look in. What passions do I have? And and how do they fit in light of who God's created me to be? How do they fit in light of His clearly expressed will in Scripture? What passions can He redeem? And what passions in my life can He weaponize against the enemy for His glory? Then I look in, but I look in only in light of looking up at Him. Who does He say that I am? You said it. I believe it. It's done. And can I just be honest? We could take out the second line. You said it. It's done. Doesn't matter if we believe it or not, does it? I think it's David Mettler who says that all the time. Doesn't matter if we believe it. He said it. It's enough. I'm going to lose my voice this morning. I, if I'm defined my, by my desires, my talents, my skills, my people, the position that I hold, what happens if it's gone? Who am I? But do you know what no one can take away from you? Is your God-given identity and definition. Nobody can take that from you. All the powers of hell waging war against your life can't take away what God says about you. Not only are you defined, you're designed. You're designed by your creator. Now, here's what I want you to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says... We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I want you to understand. Do you think Moses' mama knew the ways that God wanted to use Moses in the days ahead? Do you think she had any idea that Moses was going to be one of God's greatest prophets and redeemers? Do you think that Moses would lead, do you think that she understood that Moses would lead the people out? No, she didn't. But what we see is that God had a plan behind the plan. Moses' mama was just trying to keep her baby alive, but let me tell you, God had a plan underneath that. Because God had created Moses for good works, which God prepared beforehand that Moses should walk in them. Let me tell you, that's true of you too. Now, I love the word beforehand. I don't know how long beforehand means. How long ago is beforehand? Well, for God, beforehand is beforehand. God's always been, right? So his beforehand is way way before I was born. Way before my mama and daddy ever thought about that. I, I, God's beforehand was already there. So can I just maybe let it, let's blow our mind for a moment. It says, it says that God created the world in six days. And he's been planning your beforehand 
from beforehand. What could God do with you if you lived in his identity? If you lived in his definition and his design? He's been planning your plan since beforehand, since before time began. Since before the foundation of the world, maybe. What could God do with a people who lived in his identity by his definition and design? You also have been created for good works that God prepared beforehand. And I, as I close, I don't want you to be somebody else inside the church. So we need to look up and then we need to look around and we need to find out how we fit into God's family. Now, can I just tell you, you don't need to look around and say, who do I want to be like? Can, can I? You make a really crummy version of somebody else. If, if God wanted two of them, he'd somehow have done it. But can I just tell you, he created you as a masterpiece and there's none like it. He created you on purpose for a purpose. He, 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 he created you for the day and the day for you. He made you for such a time as this. Do you believe that right now of all the people that God could have chose to put in the world at 2022 to bring redemption about in the world, He chose you? Some of us are going, He made a bad move. He didn't. You were made for the day, and the day was made for you. How dangerous would we be if we lived as a child of God, defined and designed by Him? So as we close, are you a child of wrath? Or are you a child of God? Are you looking in and around and then up? Or are you looking up? Do you believe that you're God's masterpiece? You are. Do you believe that God has a plan for you so great and glorious that it'd blow your mind? He does. Do you believe that God wants to use you in such a way as to change eternity? He does. And that's good news. But it can only happen when you trust in the mercy and grace of Jesus. And let him define you and design you anew today. Would you stand with me? There are some of you thinking like I was praying a little while ago. God, the mission seems too big. Maybe today at the end of the service you just want to come bow down and go god help our church help me help me to realize my place in your plan and help me to live out this plan for my life maybe you want to pray that for yourself you uh, our church whatever it might be but maybe you're in here and through the messages you've realized that you're not a child of god but of wrath I want to invite you, God is rich in mercy, even still today, and that God has allowed you to hear his word proclaim his gospel given, and it still has the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So maybe you want to trust it today.
Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray together, then we'll close in song. Father, today, I pray for my dear family, those who have been family of Seneca Baptist Church for years and decades, and those who are on their way to membership. I pray for those who are a part of the family of God and those who are still children of wrath. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to us now, that you would move us and break us, you mold us and shape us, that as we turn our eyes to Jesus, we would be defined and designed again by the gospel, and that we would live that out in such a time as this for our country, for our world, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you respond?